What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. It's the day we've been waiting for Jack McMullen. It's the call up and it's top 100 prospect list breakdown day, I guess. We released it yesterday, but we're going to finally start the breakdown of 181. Uh, we've been talking about this thing for a while. Uh, there was a lot of delays, some on my end, some on the web development side, but I think it was well worth the wait, and I'm really excited to dive into 100 through 81 in this episode. Yeah, like I, I think if I were to grade this list, it's probably like a C, maybe C yeah, plus. Yeah, I think, I think that's good. I, I will take that. Yeah, so I definitely seen a lot better lists, um, especially <laughs> in this cycle. But I, I think this one's fine. So I, I, I'm looking forward to diving into it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really excited. That's a really good sell, man. And now that I can tell people, hey, by the way, the list is linked in the podcast description. If you want to follow along with us, also yeah. we're on YouTube using the uh, the StreamYard feature, I love StreamYard, where we're gonna be kind of scrolling through the write-up. So we're gonna speak to it enough to where you don't need to watch the video, but we're trying to you know, be multi-purposed here. So if you're on YouTube, obviously you're gonna have the write-ups following along. If you can't do that, uh, if you're listening on the go or you are on a bus or whatever, click the link on your phone and you can scroll with us on the link in the description. Yeah, what, what I will say is if you were to power rank our list Pipeline, Baseball America, fan graphs, and maybe prospectus. We're certainly top five in that. Yes, list. and free, and um, free. That's a big one. Um, no, no, I mean, I, yeah, no paywall, but no, we added a lot of new features to this as well, which I'm really excited about, uh, including yeah. you know being able to share the individual write-ups, which is very cool. At the bottom of each write-up, you can click it and, and share it on social media. Beyond that, you can 
you know, click to names, it drags you down there. You can sort by columns, arrows indicating trends, and a lot more things that I think just make the the user experience way better. And I'm very excited about that. But a lot of time put into this. Uh, this is definitely the most, uh, I would say, the most comprehensive. I know we're going to say that every time, but you know, more information that you know was at our disposal for this list as we continue to just be able to you know, reach out and, and connect with more people that can, you know, get us more information, more data, more looks, and, you know, also just putting in more time on my end now. That and this more is anecdotes. Thing. Sorry? And more anecdotes and, and more, yes. you know, understanding personal stories, understanding, mm-hmm. you know, guys, how they function in the clubhouse, things like that, that the more people you talk to, the more information, both on a spreadsheet and in exactly. person and one-on-one communication uh, you gather. And, and listen, I know that, you know, you put thousands of hours into this type of list. And um, I, I think what everybody experienced with with the preseason list was this is as jam packed with information as you will find anywhere across the industry. Now it has gotten more user friendly. So there was no drop off in, in information like there's more information, more information now, than before. Yeah. And it's also more palatable and more user friendly. And it's not like you have to read the Odyssey to do it. Um, <laughs> you can click around and read certain chapters of the Odyssey. Absolutely. And, and I'm excited to get into it because, you know, we got a, a lot of I try to deliver the the data and the information as well. The backstories as quickly and as digestible as possible. And uh, I think in these write ups, the one focus I had before we jump into the, the just misses and then get to, to 100 here is the one focus I did have is I wanted to you know, deliver some of the important data points that factored into my decisions. You know, I'm not going to go deep into every single little analytical nuance of, of every player because at that point, you know, it just gets dense. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot more that goes into it for us, but I wanted to kind of clue the reader into some of the big factors and the leading things that that factored into why we ranked them where we did, whether it was anecdotal, whether it was, you know, more on the data side. And uh, I think you can see that in the write-ups. But let's start real quick with just a couple just misses. There, there is a lot of just misses. I mean, and that, that's the hardest part. I mean, I really did have a moment where I thought about expanding this list. And I said, you're an absolute maniac if you do that, because it took me long enough to do 100. But there's so many good prospects in this game. I think that the talent pool is so much larger now. It's it's not really as concentrated as it was in the past. I think it's as hard as ever to be accurate with a hundred because there's probably another 50 guys that could easily, you know, make their case to be in here. We're not going to go through all of them, but I did want to start with Emmanuel Rodriguez uh, because that's one I saw a lot of questions on. And uh, that was somebody that was down to the final, 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 final second here where I really thought about it, really, really thought about it. And ultimately we, we went with, and you'll see in a minute here, we went with more of the closer to big league ready pitchers. If we're looking at, you know, prospect value and, and just accuracy here, I'm going to go with the guy with success in AAA, who I think has staying power in a rotation over, you know, Emmanuel Rodriguez is somebody that put up some really good numbers in a short uh, a little spurt before getting hurt again uh, over, you know, with the Minnesota twins in what was it? Low A or high A? I, I don't low have it. Low, low A. So yeah, it, it was a combination of the injury concern. There's some, some swing issues that I know will get exposed in high A very much struggled with changeups likes to catch the ball out in front. He's got ridiculous bat speed, ridiculous raw power, but I want to spend a little bit more time on him because I know that was, that's a guy that has a lot of helium. A lot of people in the collectibles hobby are investing in him. A lot of other prospect outlets have him very high. That's one that I'll happily, you know, 
be late on just because I think there's too much risk there between the injuries. There's been several and the approach deficiencies. The guy just really struggled with changeups, likes to catch everything out front. That's going to get exposed a little bit more. Could be a superstar, could be a great player, but you know, I, I got to see more before I just start throwing him up the boards. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that jumps out to me about Emmanuel Rodriguez, and I haven't gotten much of a glimpse of him at all, again, under 50 games in low A this year before getting hurt, but 57 walks, 52 punch outs in 47 yeah. games. That plays. It absolutely does. Uh, what was the strikeout rate, though? Uh, 52 punch outs and 199 plate appearances. So about a 25% K rate. So he was walking in the high twenties and deep into counts. It's, it's an approach that if he's doing that in double a, I love that. Uh, if it's in low a, that's something that can, the walks will diminish and the strikeouts will start to go up. You know, if you're a guy that's consistently getting that deep into counts and in low a with, with that many strikeouts already, that's the only concern. Hey, we are making terrible time if we're spending this much time on a guy that just missed. I know. Okay. A few more just to hit on real quick. Chase Petty really wanted to, to put him in here. It was, it was a, a close one with him. You know, the numbers kind of took ticked back in high a, but I think the underlying numbers were really strong. This guy, we've talked about him three pitches now that he commands really well, a totally different profile than we thought. It's not the sexiest profile in terms of big whiffs and the electric electric arm that we, we thought he might be, but he's still Pretty electric with much better command than we thought. If he has some success in high A double next year, that's a name to follow. Dax Fulton as well. Uh, I, I had him on here up until the last minute. Ultimately, Dax gets uh, gets the axe because the the fastball quality, not quite there. The breaking ball is phenomenal. Might be a 70-grade pitch, and he carved through guys with that through the rest of the year. But when you lack a third pitch and the fastball shape is not there yet, Margin for error is too thin. you got to rely on the breaking ball too much. That's a concern for me. Uh, there's a few other just missed I know that you're aware of. Anybody else that we should hit on before we uh, get into the top 100? Uh, I mean, quick shout out on Fulton because that, that's a big guy, 6'7", 225, and 80 yeah, pitches like great. a big guy too. Absolutely. I think he's going to be great. It's just just a little early to put him in there. Yeah, I, 100%. Um there were a couple other guys, uh, and I know that we're going to have an article out on JustBaseball.com yeah. relatively soon, but but the one that really jumped out to me was was Petty. Um, I think Chase Petty is a guy that you know, a, has figured out a way to be sustainable at the major league level. And, and we see so many of these high school guys that are throwing 102 miles an hour um, that just flame out. And, and Petty, while you can dream on a Hunter Green-type outcome – you have the nightmare of a Tyler Kolick and you have the nightmare of a Riley Pine with with a high school right-hander throwing 102 when they're drafted. I like that he's 94 to 96 and getting ground Ooh, balls. Sink. With sink now. Yeah. And that gets a lot of ground balls. If he kind of adds in that four-seamer at the top and uses those two fastballs, he's going to be a problem. Ty Madden was one last one. Yeah. Uh, really like the numbers in double. Honestly, Ty Madden might be 101-102 here uh, in terms of ranking. Uh, the strikeouts ticked up. Everything looks really good. He's a smart pitcher. He really good things about just the way he approaches the game. That's a guy that, with a good start next year, almost surely will be in. Even if a few guys graduate and he doesn't do anything, he might get in just because of how close he is in the Detroit Tigers organization. But yeah. without further delay, let's jump into this thing, man. And we'll start with someone that, unfortunately, you saw come off the IL yesterday, and it was it was not good for him. Mike Burroughs, right-handed pitching prospect with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'll set the scene a little bit real quick. Uh, Burroughs, 11th rounder out of high school, was not viewed to probably be signable in that range, but ultimately the Pirates saw his upside, 
shelled out, I think, more than twice the slot value or at least a good deal more than the slot value to get him. And it was a great pickup. I mean, this guy's been in the minors for a little bit now, but still just 22 years old, already was up to triple A, showed some success in triple A. The numbers are going to look uglier because he went down with shoulder inflammation and then bounced back. not, not, Not bounced back, I guess. Came back for whatever reason through one last time before the season was over instead of just shutting him down with shoulder inflammation. And it was ugly. Yeah, you, you saw it last outing. So, uh, I mean, you can probably speak to that a little bit more. Well, it was a decision that the Pirates made. They made another decision with with Andy Rodriguez. Andy was apparently dealing with a hip thing at the end of the year, held him out of the last three games until the final game. And, and Andy hit his first AAA homer. Um, and we'll talk about Andy a little bit later on next week because he's very high on this list. Yeah, he's, he's, awesome. he's way down there. Yeah, I mean – I. Two guys that should have just shut it down. Like, I was not expecting to see Burroughs after early, I, I think it was mid-August, that he went down. And, and Mike, like, he was so fun to watch. And then he was dealing with shoulder inflammation. So I was thinking, okay, you know, like, shut it down, get right. We'll, we'll see you here to start AAA. I, I think he could be a Pittsburgh Pirate very soon. All of a sudden, I, I see a TBD on the probable starters for uh, Wednesday's regular season finale. And then it's Mike Burroughs. He's coming off the IL from shoulder inflammation. I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, there's no way that this goes well. And he didn't get out of the first inning. He got two outs and allowed six runs to a really talented uh, Columbus lineup. So that was certainly a decision that the Pirates made. Um, I think you can tell where I I side on that decision. And um, listen, when Burroughs was healthy, high spin fastball, hammer curveball that – I think a lot of people loved going into the year, but maybe it was the changeup that surpassed. Yeah. That. I saw fastball curveball in righty righty matchups. I saw fastball changeup in righty lefty matchups, and Burroughs excelled in both of them. the The only knock on on what he did when he got up after a dominating stint in Double A was he would tire quickly. I think when he got to like the seventy pitch marker, he he would start to to sputter, and, and that's when he started to get hit hard. But when he's feeling good, that fastball curveball changeup combination is awesome. And, and what I love a, a, about it is is what you hit on here, right? This was a, a guy that it was like fastball curveball, and that was it. And like, oh, we'll we'll dream on the changeup, and it's a classic profile that you know some guys develop the changeup, and it's great, and then some guys don't, and you know they end up just being kind of that two pitch guy. Burrows, the curveball was good this year. I mean, you've talked about it; you saw flashes of it being fantastic, but. Ultimately, the changeup in certain outings was a more reliable pitch for him. And and you look at a lot of the numbers, there were spots where he really used that pitch well. And it gives him a really good offering to get lefties out. Because, yes, while the curveball is vertical with its break and it's going to work for lefties, uh, you want to be able to throw something else that's not breaking towards those guys because it still does have a little bit of that tilt to it. So I I love that he was able to develop this changeup that significantly improves his, his long-term, I think, you know, perspective and outlook here. And uh, you think he can get up by next year? I have 2024 there. I actually should probably adjust that to 2023. He'll probably be up next year. I just caught that in the, uh, in the write-up, but um, depending on the shoulder, it's that's that's the question. He didn't look great. Was the velo down in that last outing? What did you see there? I don't know. I, I didn't get the velocity readings. Um, we were we were calling it from Indianapolis. It was in Columbus and, and Columbus's feed did not give us um, 
the uh, the velocity. So I'm not sure what his velo was. It looked a little bit less lively. And the thing about Burrow's fastball is when it's on, it looks hard. It, he is a data darling that likes ingesting data, which is very fun to see from a pitcher where, you know, this was a guy that was drafted in the 11th round out of high school. Obviously, the stuff is not going to be that good because if the stuff is that good as a high school right-hander, you're going to go first round. But yeah. he went 11th. The stuff ticked up, I think, because he pays attention to what he does and the correlation it has to spin and things like that. Absolutely. Lost my spot real quick on the top 100. <laughs> so bear with me here. All right. So now we go to 99. And I mean, this is this is one that I asked you on at 99 because yeah. I've loved this prospect for so long. And when you look at what he's done this year, I'm like, OK, am I, is this confirmation bias or, you know, is it about time we put this guy in the top 100? And it's Robert Gasser, who is now with the Milwaukee Brewers left handed pitching prospects. Robert Gasser is awesome, man. Yeah. Um, I, I just have loved his seeing his progress through the minor leagues. He was someone that right out of the draft, I really liked the way he he pitched. I like the built-in deception. The stuff has continued to improve. And I mean, Gasser traded for Josh Hader as part of that larger package with the story Ruiz, who we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, he's got that just fastball that jumps from a weird release point, a nasty slider. And then he's able to mix in. They're not great, but when you don't have that definitive third pitch, at least he has two average third and fourth pitches that he can kind of alternate between depending on which pitch is more on in that given outing yeah. uh, across the arsenal here. It's 55 fastball, 60 slider. I gave him a 40 present on the curveball, but he can still steal strikes with that. And then the changeup is flashed above average 45 present. I think it can be a 55 from that tough release point. And the command has continued to get better. This is a guy you saw in person recently too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Gasser, um, yeah, I, I like the command, and, and I think that he will be a 55 command guy. Where he started to hit a snag command-wise was when he got the late bump to triple, which was crazy. Like, I, I was not expecting him to be a triple-A arm, but he, he got the bump, and, and he survived. It wasn't great. He had a 4-4 ERA across five starts with Nashville, but double-A was too easy for him. He gets traded, he goes to Biloxi, which is totally a hitter's park, and he dominates across, yeah. what, four or five starts. He had a 2-2 ERA. So um, he obviously deserved a bump. He got the bump, and the walk numbers climbed there in AAA because he's facing very talented hitters in AAA, and he's facing guys that are legitimate pros that you know see that slider, and instead of saying, oh, damn, that's really good, I'm going to try and make contact with it, they say, oh, damn, that's really good, I'm not going to swing at it. Yeah. Um, and that's the big difference between between a double A and a triple A hitter. A double A hitter on average might be a bit more talented, but a triple A hitter is better because they've been around longer. Absolutely. And the reason why I believe in the in the command side of things as well, man, is this is somebody that you look at what he was in college. He was a upper 80s pitchability guy built on the built in deception was kind of how he got out. And now his stuff ticks up to ninety three, ninety six. And he still has that, you know, innate ability to just get out because he had to, you know, find ways to do it outside of just the challenge you with his best stuff. Now he can challenge you with his best stuff. But when you face that more, you know, those more advanced hitters, he still has that deception and that pitch ability. That slider in the upper 80s is a great pitch. But like you said, challenge to command it more. And I think he did that down the stretch over the last couple outings. I'm a big fan of Gasser. I think he's going to be a really solid number four type of starter. He'll show you flashes of a number three if the command is there. Uh, but just another solid rotation piece 
for this Milwaukee Brewers organization, which by the way, I mean, we'll talk about it as we go through this, this entire uh, top 100, a lot of names in here, a couple guys that we considered even on the outside. And I think it's a testament to how much this system has improved. This was one of baseball's worst systems not long ago. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I mean, they, they're talented. I think one through 15, right? One through 10, one through 15, they've got guys that can crack the bigs. Absolutely. And this is another one here. At 98, we have Luis Matos of the San Francisco Giants organization. And Matos was somebody that I almost left off because it was a lost season for him. But I figured it would be probably too reactionary given how high I was on him going into this year. And that's one I'll have to I'll have to wear to a degree. Uh, but Matos had a phenomenal season last year. Uh, in low A. And this is somebody that at, at 5'11", 170 pounds in, in what is really a, a frame that has more room to add muscle, has already put up exit velocities as high as 111, 112 miles an hour. You know, you're looking at him and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much power to dream on here with this guy. Uh, but ultimately, he just was not healthy this year. The power was not consistently there. Flashed a couple 111s, but totally banged up. The other reason why I like Matos is, the bat to ball skills are great. Uh, and that's the thing that I think people don't realize because you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, well, you know, where is it? He swings at everything. He's overly aggressive and, and that's something to monitor. But I look at a young hitter and I'm like, OK, he feels like he can hit everything. So he's swinging at everything. Uh, that's very common. But he needs to rein in the approach. Now, second straight year where he has not reined in the approach. But this was a lost season. If Mato struggles in the early going next year, you can bet that he falls off the list. But the reason why he is on this list is because he has probably more upside than anybody out of the next 10 prospects we're going to talk about. Maybe even 15, maybe even 20, maybe even more than that. I mean, this guy has all-star potential. Like, I would almost say, I don't want to say five tools, but it's like 555 grade tool potential. It's like a watered down five tool potential, which is awesome. Um, That's still really good. Uh, So, just too, too much leeway, uh, I think, that he earned himself to, to kind of be removed off this list. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, this was the same guy that hit 360 with, with an 1,000 OPS in the Dominican Summer League in 2019. Yeah. So, uh, no, Matos, he had a great year last year because he had a 360 OBP, which, you know, remember, you're only getting like a 40-point jump for batting average to OBP with a guy like this that swings at everything. So he had a 360 OBP and a 495 slugging last year. That you can thrive with. What you can't thrive with across 93 games is a 280 OBP and a 356 slugging. So, yeah, the batting average was 215. Okay, but where's the OBP? And, and for a guy that swings at everything, 280 is not going to cut it on any top 100 list. But you're right. He gained so much ground in 2021. He really needed to suck in 2022 to drop off entirely. And he only kind of sucked. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's the thing, too, is I probably would have – knocked him off the list talking to some players some teammates even they said he just he wasn't right all year physically like he was just banged up trying to play through it um just just trying to stay on the field and uh, that that just gave me a little bit more pause here and I'm saying okay I'm gonna remove him off the list and then he's healthy next year and then he could you know come out and just rake let's let's give him a little bit more time uh if if even his teammates kind of felt like hey this guy just was was not really given a fair shot all year because of the injuries that he had to deal with. Next up, 
is number 97. And somebody I got to see yesterday, actually, at City Field. Number 97 is Mark Vientos, New York Mets prospect, really a DH first baseman type. Technically drafted as a shortstop, plays all over, uh, but not really anywhere great. We've seen him in left. We've seen him at third. We've seen him at first. Uh, but I think first slash DH is the long-term answer with third base and maybe a pinch. But Mark Vientos has some of the best power you're going to see in the minor leagues. And now, you know, in the majors has has above average to plus power in the big leagues. On top of that, I mean, this is somebody that demolishes lefties that has continued to mash and shook off a dreadful start to the season by just raking over the final five months. They're swing and miss. Everybody knows that. Um, But I think the power is so immense that he will find a way to be an above average regular with the stick. 41 extra base hits in 101 games. Yeah. Had had 24 bombs, 16 doubles. He drove in 72. Um, And and at the end of the day, even with a, a really, really bad start to the season, he had an 877 OPS in Syracuse. Like that, that plays, man. So a guy that can overcome a really bad start by just mashing baseballs all season long for the rest of the year is always going to play. And, and he's going to have a spot in a major league lineup for a long time, I think. The question is, where is he going to be defensively so he can play every day? And right now it's, I don't know. Um, but but we'll see. I think it's going to take a good manager to deploy him in the right ways. And we know how good of a manager Buck Showalter is for the immediate future. Absolutely. And so the one thing with, with Vientos struggled this year with breaking balls. And I think that's part of the reason why we didn't see him promoted. And I, I mentioned that in the write-up here where it just, he crushes fastballs and crushes velocity as well as anybody and hits changeups really well too, because he's able to keep his weight back and, and let the ball travel. And even when he's out front a little bit, he has so much power. He's going to leave the yard, but breaking balls this year, 455 OPS. It's just not going to, it's just not going to fly. So, you know, that was obviously something that, that I think held him back, but demolished lefties to the point where they needed him to do what Darren Ruff was supposed to do. 1100 OPS against lefties in AAA this season. That will play. I just watched him against Jesus Lizardo, who was carving up that entire Mets lineup, and he had some of the best at-bats. The great takes, uh, just overall spoiling tough pitches, looked much more comfortable. I think Vientos is going to settle in. I'm very interested to see what his role is going to be into this postseason, but he belongs, and I am specifically mentioning that he belongs because uh, a certain Mets beat writer wrote – an interesting piece saying how it was not fair to Mark Vientos and that it's a disaster that he was called up and blah, 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 blah. And then turned off his replies. Uh, That's my hint for you to guess who it is because you can't reply to him ever. Uh, But I thought that was ridiculous to insinuate that Mark Vientos did not earn this promotion from AAA after what he did over the last few months. Very excited to see what Vientos continues to do. I have no idea who you're talking about actually. And uh, I will dig to try and find that person. Andy Martino. Okay, next up is number 96. Speaking of Andes, we got Andy Pajes of the Los Angeles Angeles Dodgers organization. And this is a fall for Pajes. Uh, It really is, but we're not sounding the alarms yet. Pajes is a very, very, very exciting prospect that just took a bit of a step back this year, but I think it's important to provide context. Outfielder with big power and athleticism, ridiculous arm, could be an above-average defender in a corner, just did not quite put up the consistent numbers this year compared to last year. 
However, it's a big jump from high A to double A. And this is somebody that is so pretty freaking young for the level and still hit home runs. So I was surprised to see Pajes fall out of some top 100 lists and fall further. For me, ultimately, it was just a combination of a little bit of swing and miss concern, not quite building on last year as much as I'd like to see, uh, but easily could justify putting Pajes a little bit higher. Still has hit over, what, 56, 57 home runs over the last two years. This guy's got silly power and above average defensive ability in the corner. The Dodgers will develop this guy. I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, the only thing that is concerning is across 12 more games, he had one more extra base hit than he did last year in a noticeably better hitters environment. He was in Tulsa for the entire year this year. He was in Great Lakes for the entire year last year. And you would hope that even with the jump to double A, the power numbers tick up because the ball carries so much better. And that just was not the case for Pajes this year, I think, because... You know, it was it was softer contact this year. Yeah. Uh, he was he was being fooled a little bit. And, you know, he's very aggressive, a little bit inexperienced overall. And and I think he just got, like you said, picked apart a little bit. But big time. Outside, if he went nuclear next year, I don't think either of us would bat an eye. The reason why no. he's further down here is just a little bit of a step back risk and just really talented guys in front of him. So, I mean, that's really what ends up, you know, factoring into this thing. But again, somebody with big time helium potential to get back to where he was last year, but I had him pretty high going into the year. I was expecting more of a breakout overall to build off of last year. Now, quick follow-up here. What level does he start at next year? Double or triple? I think you, I think you start him at triple just the way the Dodgers are, but with the expectation that, you know, if he struggles, maybe he does, triple the whole year. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think 22, right? Like just give them the whole year there. I, they did it similarly with Vargas. I know Vargas raked at every spot, but I think they're okay with a prolonged stay in triple where he's really going to get the, the best. I think the best w- way to get equipped for the big leagues is just way more at bats against guys that were formerly in the big leagues. And if he gets eaten up a little bit, that's fine. I'd rather him get eaten up in triple than have a 120, 125 WRC plus and double and you know show flashes like let's let's see you sink or swim a little bit i think he's the right guy for that and i'm very interested to see how he does next year do think the defense is an underrated aspect of him though yeah 100 he's he's a good defender that can survive in center but he's best equipped for right field absolutely with a 70 arm which is yeah. which is fun to watch speaking of an arm that has really ticked up but this is a pitcher Tanner Bibby, right-handed pitching prospect with the Cleveland Guardians, checks in at 95. And this is probably a name that uh, some people may not know as well as some of the other guys that we'll talk about. But you should learn the name because even though Bibby's not on any other top 100 lists, if I'm not mistaken, he will be very soon. Bibby, a classic Cal State Fullerton strike-throwing prospect that the Guardians scoop up. Shocker. They scoop up the guy that has the pitch ability. And guess what? They unlock some more stuff. He unlocks some more stuff with them. Fastball ticks up several miles per hour after operating more 90 to 92, maybe even more in the upper 80s at times in college. He's up to mid 90s, touching 99. The command has not waned. The slider is nasty. Changeup looks above average, too. And he'll mix in a curveball that's average to steal strikes. This guy's a top 100 prospect, even though. Oh, probably he probably doesn't have ace upside, obviously, but I would bet a lot of money on this guy being a certifiable, just consistently solid big league starter. I think he still has number three upside, but 
I mean, this guy's as good of a lock to be a number four starter in the big leagues, I think, as you're going to find. There are so many of these dudes in Cleveland. It, it's utterly incredible how many of these dudes the Cleveland Guardians have just working through the farm right now. And, and we talk about Logan Allen. We talk about Tanner Burns. We talk about Xavier Curry. You can mention Hunter Gaddis. You can mention Doug Casey. You can mention Tommy Mace. Tanner Bibby had as strong a year as, you know, really many other guys. Will Dion, another guy that just missed. Will Dion was electric between low A and high A this year. And Bibby, he had a 2.59 ERA across 12 starts in high A with Lake County. And, and Bibby was missing, missing bats. 13 Ks per nine. He wasn't walking very many people. So what happens? He gets the bump to double. The K rate goes down a little bit. But somehow these guys are getting fewer hits against yeah. him. Like he dropped his hits per nine by over one. So the the ERA got better. He was technically a better pitcher in double A, which is just bizarre to me. So Bibby is a guy that thrived one way in high A, thrived a totally different way in double A. And I think he's going to thrive in the majors. You see the part I have highlighted on the screen right now, which is he landed his changeup for a strike 70% of the time this year. So, I mean, that's his third pitch. If your third pitch is a changeup that you're landing for a strike 70% of the time. Okay, and hitters know that he's landing it for a strike 70% of the time, and they're still not doing shit with it. A 426 OPS. That's the thing. When you throw a pitch for a strike 70% of the time, it might get hit hard because you know that it's going to be in the strike zone more often than not, and it's not. That's the mark of a really good pitch. Yep. And he, he just keeps it in a great spot. And that's what's most impressive. It's not the nastiest changeup you'll ever see. It's good. Has late fade. But if you dot it lower outside corner, then you dot it. And there's nothing and he, that people can do about it. And the fastball works really well off of it. Th- this guy's going to have major helium. I just, just, just watch. Just watch how much more you're going to hear Tanner Bibby's name in the next year or so. Go up to number 94 here. And it's another right-handed arm with big-time helium. It's Gordon Graceffo. Right-handed pitching prospect with the St. Louis Cardinals, who this guy does a little bit of everything. Uh, he's got a, a really solid fastball, nasty slider as well, and an above-average changeup and above-average command. So similar to Bibby, also mixes in the curveball to steal strikes. And, I mean, Graceffo, man, this is a name that I think we've just heard so much this year. I think a lot of people have really fallen in love with him. He's another dude that saw a major jump from college at Villanova, if I remember correctly, yes. to now in the professional ranks. Just seeing the stuff tick up, pitchability remained there. 6'4", 220, big guy. Uh, you, you can bet on this stuff kind of sustaining through the course of the season, sustaining deep into starts. He maintains his stuff well, low effort. I, I'm a big, I'm a big Rosefo fan. I'm, I'm definitely buying what he's selling, and uh, it's been pretty fun to watch him operate with the mid '90s fastball, the plus slider in the upper '80s, and then you know he'll mix in two solid, you know, third and fourth pitches there with above average command. It's just so refreshing watching like three, four pitch guys that can command it uh, when we're talking about top prospects because it, it's just. It's just rare. It's just rare, but it's becoming less rare. I think we talk about the cyclical thing used to be a lot of these guys. Then it was all stuff. Now we're seeing a little bit of a combination of the two. And I think Graceffo is another example. Um, You know, what's fascinating about Gordon Graceffo? Villanova, the Big East. The Big East is not that good of a baseball conference. The SEC is the the gold standard. Then you've got 
you know, the the ACC, you've got the Pac-12, you got the Big 12, you got the Big 10, too. There's probably a little step down from there. Um, and, and you got some others. The American is a pretty good baseball conference. Um, and you've got a couple down south, right? The SoCon, the, the Missouri Valley is a pretty good baseball conference, too. The Big East is never the conference that you think of that produces top flight baseball talent. So think about that. Big East hitters, obviously a lot worse than the professional hitters that Gordon Graceffo has seen in his minor league career. Not only does he have a better ERA in professional baseball than he did at Villanova, but he's got a higher K rate in professional baseball than he did at Villanova. How does that how does that work? What's the correlation between the two? Stuff ticking up like crazy, man. Wild. He was upper upper eighties guy. I I actually funny enough, I was talking to one of his teammates and uh, at Villanova, family friend, ironically, and he played with him. And he's like, you know, I'm not shocked because he's a hard worker and you could tell he was talented. But I am shocked to see that that kind of stuff coming out of his arm. Like that was never, never really something that we ever saw from him at Villanova. He was good, but he's like that, that I was showing him clips because we were talking about Villanova and he was talking about guys he played with. And I'm showing him clips of, of his slider now. And he's like, what? Like he was floored. Uh, but that's what happens now. These guys that have the natural ability get to the right organizations and, and get it out of them. And, and the Cardinals have done a great job too. You know, they identify the guys that they can maximize and they maximize them. And Graceffo, a big dude, kind of fits the mold as well. One last thing on Graceffo in Peoria across eight starts, like he was too good for high a, uh, a sub one ERA 45 and two thirds innings struck out 56 and walked four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that. And <laughs> that's love so it. easy to, to latch on to yeah. uh, coming in at 93 is someone that I am definitely going to take a little bit of a premature victory lap on because I was <laughs> right out of the draft. Loved him. Connor Norby, second base prospect, Baltimore Orioles. And I, I looked at that swing out of the draft, and I'm like, this this guy's going to just rake. This guy's going to absolutely just rake through the minors. That said, I saw more of slightly above average power, if that. Um, you know, I was figured 20 home runs at most. He has 29 home runs this year. He's climbed three levels. He's in AAA. And he homered like two of the last three, maybe three of the last four games in AAA too. Norby has such a good swing. It is now geared a little bit more for lift, only a 38% ground ball rate, but he also balances that well, right? I don't like seeing guys that are selling out pull side for lift. He leverages his hitters counts and will look to do pull side damage, but he uses the whole field really well. And he comes from ECU and East Carolina. You know, if you listen to this podcast, how many times I've talked about Alec Burleson and his two-strike approach, the no-stride thing that they do over there. Uh, and, and this is another guy that is just a perfect example. East Carolina churns out hitters. And guys that can do the no-stride with two strikes, uh, but also just have that adaptability in the batter's box, it seems like that's exactly what East Carolina looks for. That's exactly what they look for in their hitters. And they continue to turn out really good prospects, much like Burleson. He climbed three levels, right, all the way up to AAA so quickly. Norby does the same thing. I don't think it's a coincidence. And this is a really, really, really good hitter that I, I'm sure you'll add some more on, on the stats. No, I mean, if, if you hit 415 at East Carolina last year, like you can probably thrive in minor league baseball. East Carolina is a power in the American Athletic Conference. And I mean, yeah, 121 games had an 886 OPS. And if he can hit 280, 
and have that power impact that he does, second base is a really thin offensive position. Yep. He immediately becomes one of the most serviceable offensive second basemen in baseball when he debuts with the chance to become one of the better offensive second basemen in baseball. Which is exactly what I said in the write-up, which is pretty crazy. Um, and that's why we have him so quickly in this top 100. I think you'll see him in a bunch of other top 100s after he does a little bit more of this next year. Uh, but you look at but he might the- not be far off from a debut. I, that's the craziest part. He's going to beat the top 100 lists, basically, to the big leagues. 50 to 55 hit tool, 50 to 55 raw power, 50 to 55 game power, 50 run, 50 field. Like this is just another prospect that it's balanced across the board with the intangibles, with the natural field of hitting instincts, good swing decisions, lifts really well. I I just, I I think this is as safe of a prospect. When I wrote up his draft profile, I said, this dude screams big leaguer. And I mean, this dude screams big leaguer. Yes, he does. Shout out Cliff Godwin. Carolina's coach guy gets it done gets it done knows how to preach it doesn't work for everybody but for the guys that it works for that approach it really does work a la Tristan Casas Bo Bichette and others yeah. 92 is Stuart Ruiz another guy who came over in that Josh Hader deal so two top 100 prospects for the Milwaukee Brewers in that Josh Hader deal Stuart Ruiz when we've talked about him a lot on the podcast we don't have to spend too too much time on him but I mean Every time I've been waiting for him to like slow down, maybe come to earth a little bit, he just hasn't. And I think we, we can kind of believe that Ruiz is going to be an above average bat. It's more of what are the other things in his game? How are those going to translate at the big league level? What kind of defender is he in the outfield? Because he was formerly an infielder, now moves to the outfield. We know he has elite speed, right? He stole 70 bases this year, maybe more than that at this point. Stole 85 uh, bases. Are you serious? 85? 85. Jeez. Okay. Stole 85 bases this year. We know that's going to be a part of his game. I think you can believe that there's at least an average hitting ability with a little bit more. I think you can believe in at least average power here. But what are we getting from Rui? What kind of player is he? And that's kind of the question here. Because if he's not a phenomenal defender, if the if the offense is not as exciting as it is in triple, then it, it's, a, it's a unique profile that's tough to peg. That said, when you do what he did this year – it's too good to ignore, especially in the upper levels. I think he's going to find a way to be valuable, uh, find a way to hit enough with some decent power. And I mean, again, when you hit 332, 447, 526 with a 17% K rate and 12% walk rate in AAA, uh, I'm in. You know, you just you just can't refute that at 23 years old. Yeah, yeah. you know. I think he's really going to benefit from the pitch clock being implemented next year in Major League Baseball. I think stolen bases are are going to really benefit from the pitch clock being added in Major League Baseball. And, and this is a guy that played 17 games at the big league level between San Diego and Milwaukee and stunk. He was bad. He was getting on base at a 194 clip in 36 plate appearances. Um, but when he was in triple-A ball, again, 85 stolen bases in 99 attempts. I wish he got to 100 attempts, um, but he did not. Uh, he was one shy. Um, I, I think you can almost time it up a little bit with the pitch clock, where when you see the clock tick down to two and one and a guy hasn't come over, oh, um, or you know that. he's already come over. Yeah, so I, stolen bases are really going to benefit next year, even without the pickoff rule. Um, listen, that's not going to give you 85 stolen bases. You, you have to be a freak athlete to steal 85 bags, he's whether a freak you're a head start or not. And, and yeah. he's a freak athlete. The question is, is he going to hit enough? And 
I'm scared. Because I am I, scared. The answer might I, be no. I am scared. But it, it, whenever I get scared, I just go to fan graphs. <laughs> you know, and like I, I always joke about like the, the fan graph scouts. You know, I, I'll get people yelling at me that just literally look at, at the, the fan graphs. And fan graphs will tell you stuff, right? But like also you look at the swing. It plays. It, it really does play. It was more approach for him before. And Jack, only 21% chase rate this year. So I do think he hits enough. If he's a 275, 350, 440 guy or 430 guy, he's a valuable player with the caveat that he plays good defense. And that's my concern, right? Because I actually have more, I'm trying to figure out what kind of player he is. If he's a high 700 OPS guy that steals bases, but he's a liability or, or average at best defender, then you're like, okay. You know, what is this here? If he's an above average defender, all of a sudden you have that everyday player in the outfield that can play all three spots. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what kind of defender he's going to be. It's it's it, it could go any way. Right? Does he and screen? Does he screen best, best fourth outfielder in baseball? I think I think if it went poorly. Yes. I think you're you're hoping for, for more than that. And that's why he's at number 92. But I, I think he has that floor already pretty much of being a, a high, high level fourth outfielder. Yeah. I'm with you. Let's get to number 91, Ivan Herrera. And this guy gives me headaches, dude. He really does because he is one of the weirder profiles you'll see catching prospect with the St. Louis Cardinals and Ivan Herrera. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. He hits the shit out of the ball, but rarely does it. If that makes sense. Like I've, we've seen him post 112s, 112 mile per hour exit velocity. And this is a 22 year old. He did it as a 21 year old with, with relative ease, six foot, 180 pounds. And you're like, Whoa, that's crazy bat speed. But he had six home runs in triple a this year in 65 games last year in double a, he, he saw that power tick up to 17 homers, but just such a pull happy approach out and around everything. It, it's concerning to me. That said, I mean, he still put together a pretty good offensive season for a catcher, 268, 374, 396. He has great bats of ball skills as well. He's just a tough profile to peg. Production hasn't quite been there, but there's just too much to like here with the bat and, of course, at a, at a premium position. You know, the, the weirdest thing to me was this guy, like, he didn't play that many games, which was really weird. Yeah. And I was looking to see if he had a, any IL stint at all. And the answer is no. He just didn't play that often. And it wasn't like the Cardinals were trying to get another top flight catching prospect into the game in Memphis. I mean, they they were, you know, between him and Pedro Pajes. It, it was really weird that he only played 65 games. I have no idea why he only played 65 games. And I don't know. He he gives me headaches, too, because he's just a mystery. I have and no especially idea. Especially when you have, like, you're trying to figure out who the heir apparent to Yachty is, right? And it's it, that tells me that they don't think it's Ivan Herrera. Yeah. But then you look at some other top prospect lists, and, and especially like Baseball America, you look at others that are very connected with with some of the Cardinals brass and people that are, you know, making the decisions there and they're very high on him. And it's, it's an echo of this is a guy we're excited about. And I mean, you look at a 16% chase rate, 86% zone contact for a catcher and he hits the ball hard. It's like he hit a home run this year, Jack, 111 miles an hour, 458 feet. 
Like, where is that? Where know. is that? It's just know. randomly he flashes it, and then he's back to roll over to third or, like, spray the ball. And, and I just and don't know what he is. 51% so, down ball rate. And, and what's so weird is they are, like, taking their sweet time with Herrera when they're pushing the shit out of Walker and win. Dude, and that's the thing. And I don't want to question the Cardinals in terms of like they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. But Tink Hens, we'll talk about him like in, in two days. But why is that guy in Woe all year? Look at his numbers. It makes no sense. So the Cardinals do some interesting things. Hard to read. Uh, this one was was surprising to me. Uh, but he's still too talented to not be a top 100 prospect. Yeah. Moving into number 90, Spencer Steer. Talked a lot about him in the past, so we don't need to go too deep into this one. Cincinnati Reds prospect traded over from the Minnesota Twins in that Tyler Malley deal. Um, I mean, there's a lot to like with Steer. High, high floor. Ceiling, limited. Floor, high. Above average regular. I mean, one of the safer bets to find there. Above average field to hit. Above average power that's going to play up in Cincinnati. We talked about it when I went through that farm system rankings and breakdown. You would have had like 30-something pumps in Cincinnati if he played all his games there uh, just to kind of show you how much his doubles power will translate in environment. He's just the classic hitter that is very dependent on the environment, right? When you have a slightly above average power guy like that, the right environment can make it plus in terms of production. And that's where steers at. I think he'll be closer to above average, but I think we're looking at a 260, 270 hitter gets on base at a good clip, hits you 20, and plays all over the field. Uh, you need one of those guys on every team. I think he's a safe NL Rookie of the Year bet next year. Kind of same reasoning as Jonathan India, right? Very, very hitter-friendly ballpark. Um, we, we talk about Ezekiel Tovar in that light, too. Yeah. Tovar is a guy that, that feels... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my most sizable preseason bet ever, I think, on Tovar Rookie of the Year. On Tovar Rookie of the Year. But, but I mean, you got to consider Steer, too, because you're right. While he's not sexy, what he does is immediate production and it's really good production for Cincinnati. And they've got this healthy blend because for every Ellie De La Cruz and Noel V. Marte, they hedge it with a Matt McClain and a Spencer Steer. Spencer Steer is just a corner infield version of Matt McClain. Yeah. And I, you know, I think McClain's the, the more athletic guy, which we'll get to, but I love, I think it's a great point. You have the freak shows that high risk, high reward, and then you balance it out with the higher four guys that you know you feel pretty good are going to make some sort of big league contribution, and I I 100% agree. That's what makes a good farm system in my eyes, yes. uh, and, and a balanced one. Getting to 89 here, talk about a good farm system and a balanced one, Jack. Jordan Westberg, shortstop prospect, kind of all over though for the Baltimore Orioles. I love that these guys are stacked because Westberg is like the better version of Steer, to yeah. be honest. Like yeah. like Westberg. If, if he had another 50, 60 games of doing what he's doing in AAA, he'd probably be a little bit more separated from Steer, but Steer's already at the big leagues. Westberg, I loved him out of the draft. I loved him on the Cape, 30th overall pick by the Orioles. Plays all over, um, you know, and, and that's, I think, the big thing. Staying power at shortstop, but because of the situation that they have, you know, in Baltimore right now with all of the different infield prospects, he's been moved all over, and he's got above-average power, at least an average field ahead. I think it's closer to above average with his approach. And he's got above average speed, high floor, still a decently high ceiling with this guy. And I'm a huge fan of Westberg. Welcome to Jordan Westberg, 265, 39 doubles, 27 homers, 106 driven in. Yeah, I'll bet on that. Can't argue that much with that across double and triple. Yeah, 12 for 15. 
Yeah. I mean, he just does a little bit of everything. And don't, like, he's one of those guys that'll surprise you though. He'll hit a baseball and you're like, whoa, like 450. And you're like, whoa, that guy's got juice. So that, that's why I think there's a little bit more impact than Steer, but, and also a little bit more defensive value. He could play average shortstop, could be a, a, an above average third baseman. And with the power and extra base hit ability plus arm, I think third base is his long term home. I just love that he's doing all three. Like, why have a long term home when you can play a decent shortstop, a decent second base, and a good third base? Dude, for another episode, because, you know, we got eight more guys to get through, but what the hell are the Orioles going to do? I, I cannot wait to see what you do with – obviously, Gunner is not going anywhere, and I'm not insinuating that any of these guys go anywhere, but what do you do with Norby, Gunner, you got Westberg, Westberg. as well. Kobe, Kobe Mayo, Mayo struggled at the end of the year, but he, he can get in there. I mean, Taron Vavra's even earned himself a little bit of a look. You've got Mateo already there. Um, and then even in the outfit, you've got Kowser, you've got – Stowers, you've got Kerstad, who hopefully will be a factor. And then the guys that are already there on Hayes, Mullins, uh, Santander. It's pretty freaking crazy what they've got there. And they've, I think they're going to be busy this offseason. Westberg is one guy I could see being dangled, but I'd imagine that they'd rather deal Norby or somebody else for pitching because Westberg's versatility is just too fascinating. One note on Norby, though, to go back to, played some left field at the end of the year. Something to watch there. Yeah, something to watch. Um, I guess the only position that we didn't talk about at that point was was catcher. Do they have any catching prospects? Or no, I don't think that that's the one area they got to figure out. And I wonder if okay. they'll try and you know make a swap with with my Marlins, maybe Connor Norby for Will Banfield or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm thinking. How about like Jacob Stallings get a veteran presence and and Adley Rutschman can flip into like more of a hybrid role. I mean, that's the funniest part. It's like I don't even mention catcher because like I don't need to. Like yeah. I literally don't. Like that's satisfied for the next decade. Congratulations, Baltimore. Next, we got a really fun prospect as well, another infielder, Zach Neto. Zach Neto, shortstop prospect, Los Angeles Angels. You and I had a fun time on that mock – or not mock draft – on the live draft uh, stream that we did on YouTube. I I wouldn't have been upset if, if, again, my Marlins took Neto uh, where where they had their pick. It would have been early. But talk about a guy that just has been – so easily adjusting to every single aggressive promotion. He played 30 games in double A and raked right out of the draft. He had over 400 in his career at Campbell. I know it's mid-major, but Campbell is a, a sneaky good program that produces some talent year, year in and year out. 13th overall pick in this past draft. Loud moves uh, with his swing. One of the biggest leg kicks you'll see, but he's such a good athlete that it doesn't really matter. And he starts it early. And I haven't really seen any reason to believe that he won't be able to replicate that timing. On top of that, with two strikes, he goes to a toe tap, similar to what we were talking about with the ECU guys. So it's helped him kind of keep the, the strikeouts in check. There's just yet another prospect, Jack, where you look across. Every tool, it's 50, 50 to 55 across the board. Staying power at short. I, I'm a huge fan of Zach Neto. This is like my kind of prospect right here. Yeah, I mean, he, he's totally your kind of prospect. Um, I, I think he's very safe. He's going to be one of those incredibly safe hitters. And, and Campbell is kind of a powerhouse here. I mean, they've produced uh, Matthew Barefoot. That, that's a name that I think a lot of prospect people would know because he was excellent at Campbell before Neto was. Um, but how about Cedric Mullins? Like Campbell. I forgot about that. Yeah. Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins was one of those guys. And even when they don't produce like big league guys, they're they're that they're that team in the region, like in the regional or wherever, where you're like, ah, they'll they'll surprise you. (laughs) They'll definitely surprise you. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, Campbell is is becoming a much better program and and Neto kind of speaks to what they do, where they find one of these mashers 
And they hang out in one of these weird conferences. Like Campbell is in the Big South. I don't know which conference New Mexico State's in, but New Mexico State, kind of same thing with the Nick WAC, Gonzalez. Right? right? The WAC. Yeah, they're in the WAC. And, you know, you got Nick Gonzalez seeing WAC pitching and hitting like 800. <laughs> that's what yeah. that's what Zach Neto was doing this year. He was seeing Big South pitching, which is fine, but he hit 407 with an OPS just under 1,300. And you think, okay, how does this translate? And the answer is really well. Really we know well. Hitting is a confidence thing. If you hit 400 in college, you've got to feel damn good about what you do, especially at the Division One level. And hitting 320 with an 870 OPS across 30 games in AA, take it. 132 WRC plus in 30 games in AA straight out of college. Mid-major college. Like, puts it in perspective. If you're wondering about the glove, he's sticking it short. He moves well. Actions are smooth. And – Really important thing here, he pitched. He's got a big arm from short. He will be able to make all the plays. He was up to 93 on the mound for them at Campbell as well. His walk rate was brutal, though. Six walks per nine at Campbell. <laughs> that's that's higher than his walk rate was as a hitter in double A, which is something <laughs> to watch. But I think I don't think he's overly aggressive. I think it was more of a circumstantial thing. 87, Cade Cavalli. That's a fall. That's an arrow down. Um Cavalli showed some unbelievable flashes. Talk about a guy that gives us a headache, man. Uh, right-handed pitching prospect, Washington Nationals, got up to the big leagues, then went down with an injury. I'm I'm starting to get to the point here where I just I don't know if he's ever going to stay healthy. And that's really my overall concern here. If he's healthy, I mean, you look at the pitch grades here. <laughs> 60 to 70 on the fastball, 50 to 55 on the slider, 60 to 70 on the curveball, 50 to 55 on the changeup. Command, of course, is a question, but – I mean, you have four plus pitches. I can I can survive with fringy command. It's really just about health, and I, I don't know, man. I can't predict that. I think some of it's about command too. I've got questions about his command. Like I, this year was a little bit better. I mean, last year there were outings where again he could not throw a strike. Um, so health, command, and we'll see what Kid Cavalli turns into. This feels like um, a Hunter Green type. But I have way less confidence in Cavalli than Hunter. He's less athletic. You know, less athletic. Uh, it's it stinks. I mean, you wonder what the Nationals here. Cole Henry, kind of in the same boat. Great stuff. Probably a top one. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Look at Strasburg. I mean, that's that's also really upsetting. The only one that's staying healthy is Patrick Corbin. <laughs> yeah, and then they're doing their best to try to run him into the ground. And then you look at like the development of Josiah Gray. It's it's disappointing there. I mean, it, there's definitely something consistent through the national system. I mean, it's it's. And it's not a good consistent. No, it is not. Someone who does have or was consistent and very good this year, Oscar Colas. And this is your hometown White Sox here. Oscar Colas checks in at 86, outfield prospects, Chicago White Sox. Dude, this guy hits the ball so hard. I had questions about his approach and whether that would get exposed more in double A. And it it really didn't. (laughs) It really didn't. Uh, He is a fastball destroyer, destroyer. But he was good enough against secondary stuff that I'm like, I'm starting to believe that this hit tool can be average or or slightly above it. You can't chase 39% of pitches. That's going to have to improve. Uh, But the thing is he swings at everything, but he hits everything. He chases 43% of sliders, but Jack, he had a 965 OPS against sliders. Yes, that will get exposed a bit more at the upper levels. But when I see a guy who is chasing this much and still hitting 314, 371, 524. My gosh, like he still has more in there. 
He got better at each level. I, and it was just a taste at the end of the year in Charlotte, but he was great for seven games in Charlotte at the AAA level. He's not going to break camp at the White Sox next year, but he's going to be given the opportunity to get up quickly when the White Sox underwhelm yet again, because that's <laughs> what I've grown up with. That's every year since 2005. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Birmingham, he was great. And, and he was one of the guys that uh, was ready for Project Birmingham. And yeah. he continued to mash with Project Birmingham. So uh, it was probably nice for Oscar Colas to come back to the dugout and, and look at uh, Colson Montgomery and Wes Koth and say, hey, this is how you hit. All you got to do is wait five years and then you'll be ready to do this. <laughs> so, yeah, well, yeah, Colas, it, it was a question like, What's he going to do when he comes over? Because this was not a guy that made his way through the Dominican Summer League and, and on the complex, all that. Like He came from Japan. He, was, he played for the SoftBank Hawks. And what level is that equivalent to? The White Sox started him in high A, really good in high A, went to double. He was great in double, and then he got a taste of triple. So uh, I think this is a guy that is up very, very quickly in 2023. Hit a ball, hit multiple balls. 112 miles an hour this year and he gets carry crazy whip it, he needs to learn the nuances of hitting but he's so naturally gifted that he gets away with some of the things we alluded to here that i'm all in on last thing on colas and i think you painted a beautiful picture here why okay. i think he can be an everyday player listen to these left on left splits 362 417 533 slash line again this is with a bad approach this guy is a natural hitter i think he's going to blend plus maybe plus and a half raw power with an above average field to hit if if the i would say if the approach improves we might adjust that hit tool to 55 future i i just i can't i can't do that when you're swinging at 40 percent of pitches outside the zone i just can't give you a 55 (laughs) but it, it it is looking like he has a shot there it was, and, and, I mean, I'm really excited about him. I've got a few of his cards, too, which I'm pumped about. Yeah, and the raw power benefits him. And the build, like, he can put a shitty swing on a ball and still hit it a pretty oh, long ways. Majestic homers, which I think people will really enjoy watching oh, yeah. when he gets up to Chicago. Oh, yeah. Kevin Parada at 85, another first-rounder from the 2022 draft. Uh, catching prospect out of Catcher U at Georgia Tech. We talked to Kyle McCann uh, a week ago, and Kyle McCann – Angel or sorry, A's prospect, catching prospect out of Georgia Tech, played with Bart. He was talking about all the catchers that have come out of there. The difference with Parada is he's probably I would put him up there offensively with just about anybody who has come out of that, you know, out of that program as a prospect. But defensively, he lags behind. And that's the question. Parada is one of the most unusual, unorthodox setups you're ever going to see. But it works. His swing is beautiful. He gets himself into a good position to hit, so I ignore all the extraneous movement. We're talking about plus raw power and above average hit tool potential, that's always going to play. That will put him in the middle of the order no matter what position he plays in a first division team if he you know, progresses the way he's supposed to offensively. But is he staying behind the dish is the big question. I'm pretty, pretty unsure and slightly pessimistic about that. Yeah, and I think as he makes his way up, he's he's going to get around a little bit. Um, I, I think that he's going to do some catching. He's going to be the DH, and then uh, he might get some reps at first base. We'll see what happens here. But um, I, I don't think that they're married to the idea of him staying behind the plate because they've got this guy that uh, we're going to talk about in a, in a couple of days here that is the catcher for the foreseeable future for the New York Mets. James McCann? So, 
uh, Tomas Nito. But (laughs) (laughs) Parada, they are not married to that idea. And obviously they wouldn't be, you know, married to Parada being a catcher with where they took him. Like they knew that they were just taking the best hitter available. He's still in their lap. He fell in their lap. So it's like, okay, worst case scenario, we just found a masher as our DH and, you know, can give Pete Alonso a break at first and can give Francisco Alvarez a break behind the plate. There's more prospects than you think or more solid big leaguers than you. And not you, John. I'm just talking to like just speaking in general. This is something I've realized. No, I'm an idiot. So please tell me. Yes. There's more prospects than you think that were catchers initially. Uh, yeah. That just the bat became way too valuable. And Bryce Harper? <laughs> yeah, yes, outside the obvious. But you know, I think Parada is going to be – I mean, we also got Josh Willingham. Don't forget Josh Willingham. Oh, yeah. Great, great catcher. No, Kyle like, Schwarber? Kyle Schwarber. No, but this is kind of that – he is so similar to Schwarber. I think that is a with really – With less strikeout concern. No, but I just – I mean like the, the narrative around it, right? Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's like the bat will make him a big leaguer no matter what if it pans out. We'll see on the glove, but it doesn't matter because the bat's that good. Yeah, that's when you know a bat's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, but if he sticks behind the dish, shit, you got like two Francisco Alvarez's. <laughs> Obviously, he doesn't have the power, but you'd have two of the best offensive catching prospects in baseball. Yeah. I think he moves to another position, and I don't think the Mets would care. Yeah, let's get to man. I love this one, man. I love this one. 84, Matt Mervis. He's become a cult hero uh, among the Cubs contingency. I know you can speak to this because your feed is more Cubs than mine. Uh, But my feed has become increasingly Cubs on Twitter uh, because they love their prospects. And I really appreciate all of my interactions with Cubs fans on there. Matt Mervis, man, I, I know people are going to be like, wow, this is this is aggressive. This is reactionary. Maybe blah, 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 blah. I, I'm going to make my case real quick, and then, Jack, you can fill in whatever you want to fill in. But yeah, I'm going I'm to shit on the haters after you make your Yes, case. thank you. And I don't think there's, like, haters, haters, but I think people will say, oh, 24-year-old first base prospect that just had finally a good season, like, whatever. Here's the thing. Matt Mervis has had a very strange circumstance. So I have a lot of prospects. 2020 – Shortened draft probably would have been a sixth to eighth round pick. And I do think if he's a sixth round pick, like Kyle Manzardo was, or what he, Manzardo was somewhere in that range, maybe fifth round pick. I don't remember if he, if he was one of those random rounds and you could see a round next to it. I think people would have been quicker to bump him up, but you see undrafted free agent. You're like, Ugh. it was a five round draft. He had a choice of every organization basically that was vying for him, including the Yankees and some of the others that are the best at, identifying those kinds of guys. Matt Mervis had one of the best offensive seasons we've seen from a prospect in a long time period. I think, you know, when you look at, look at what he did across the board, across three levels, look at the numbers level to level starts in high a strikeouts are a little high powers. There gets bumped up to double strikeouts, drop even more power ticks up even more gets to triple strikeouts disappear and power continues to remain consistent this is a guy with an above average to almost plus field to hit, plus raw power. He's an above average defender at first for what that's worth, too. How is that not a top 100 prospect? The last thing I'll say is everyone came around on Vinny Pascantino after, and I'm not saying it was because of me, but I sang the praises for a year. And then finally, after he hits for three years, people were like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll come around on that Vinny guy. And, and he, we start seeing him ranked on other top 100 lists. Matt Mervis is a carbon copy data wise. You look at, Zone contact, exit velos, swing decisions, 
left on left splits. All of that, he matched lefties here. He looks just like Vinny Pascantino when you look at the data. The production was even better. Why are we going to wait to call this guy what he is? It's the Chicago Cubs 2023 starting first baseman. That was a bar. That was yeah. sick. Somebody rap genius that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, 78 extra base hits, 119 driven in. 40 doubles, 36 homers, 119 driven in, and just 107 punch outs, 137 games. Uh, what, what I want to say is I want to I play the comparison game because I think you hit it on the nose with Vinny Pasquantino because when Vinny got up, he was a top 100 guy. It, he hit it, it took up a while. You remember how long I was? I was just like saying his name for fun. Yeah, for the top one hundred. Yeah, but but it took until he was in AAA, and Mervis in AAA in fifty seven games has a nine seventy seven OPS. Okay, fourteen point six percent K rate, and the walk rate jumped to ten point four percent. So I saw Pipeline has Ivan Melendez as a better first base prospect than than, uh, Matt Mervis. And this is where it kind of gets me. It's just because he was drafted. So, yeah, like that's my thing. So, okay, let's talk to the pipeline people. Let's talk to even Diamondbacks people. What is the perfect world? If the stars align for Ivan Melendez in 2023, what does that slash line look like? What does that development look like? And I guarantee you the Diamondbacks front office will say, well, if, if he were to play about 140 games next year, the 150 in the minor league season, uh, we hope that he starts in high A. Um, we hope it's, it's a quick stint there, maybe a month, gets up to double A. And if he thrives there, um, hopefully give him a, a taste of triple for a month or two. <laughs> and uh, we would hope for low 300s. Um, if the power comes around, that's great. You know, like in a perfect world, maybe 30 home runs, but you know, that's a very high assumption. So let's say 20 homers, 30 doubles and and drive in 90 or a hundred. Okay. That's a worse year than what Mervis just put together. Why is Ivan Melendez considered a better prospect when you wish that he puts together a Kmart version of what Matt Mervis put together this year? It's stupid. And he'd be near 24 years old at that point, too. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, I don't get it. And a righty versus a lefty. Like, I, I just – I don't I don't get it. I, that's why I don't get it sometimes. Here's and, the thing about baseball. Yes, we talk and, – and it's the same thing. You and I are both massive basketball fans, too. Like, basketball is our second love behind baseball. Basketball, there's a difference between college success and the NBA draft. But at the end of the day, sometimes the college player of the year is still going to be a good NBA basketball player, because if you're that good for that long, you're going to be good at the next level. Matt Mervis, I don't care if, you know, he doesn't have the freak athleticism of some other guys in the top 100. If you hit this well, if he puts up even close to the numbers that he just did this year in any major league season, He's an all-star and he's yeah. getting MVP votes. And, and I mean, uh, you look at like the guys he's homered off of this year. It's, it's, it's top prospects. It's former big leaguers. It's guys that are like on rehab assignments that are good big leaguers. Like he's got a really advanced approach. He's there mentally too. All the intangibles are there. He just signed a deal with tops. Congratulations to him on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm pumped for this guy, and and I, I'm I'm sold. It's a, it's it's a quick it's a quick jump. You got to do a lot to sell me in one year. 
He did everything possible, and the data backs it up. To have a guy with his kind of power since the second half of the season, 90% zone contact, dude. Yeah, dude. You don't see guys with that kind of power with 90% zone contact? That just doesn't happen. So, you know, obviously we know how subjective prospect rankings are and and we know how much video you have to watch to come to the conclusion on a certain guy. And even then your conclusion will likely be wrong. Part of me does wish that that baseball functioned a little bit like swimming, where swimming, it doesn't matter how the fuck you do it. If you if you put up a good time, you're going to the Olympics. Yeah, if you put up good numbers, baseball. you're getting to Major League Baseball. That should be how that works. Yeah, I mean, well, he 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 got that done. Yeah, you know, he'll be up. I think really early. It just depends if we see that delay for the extra year of control or not. <laughs> um, which, and the Cubs, you never know. Now we got number eighty three, Carson Williams, super super talented guy. Really big year offensively, but also um, comes with some swing and miss. I like him a lot. I think the upside is huge. I think there's a lot to really, really dream on here. First round pick by the Rays, 28th overall in 2021. He's got a plus raw power. Very armsy swing, which is crazy. Like The lower half is not involved, and he's already putting up 110-mile-per-hour exit velos. That's the craziest part. 51 extra base hits with an armsy swing and like a very uninvolved lower half. Lower half gets involved, and then we're, we're seeing easy plus power. There's width, but I think there's hope that you can be an average hitter. I think he'll get there for sure. Uh, it's just more of an approach thing. He's young. He was in low A, whatever. Above average runner and staying power at shortstop. Need to see more. Obviously, all we got was one low A season, high strikeout rate, but there's too much to dream on and already flashing us, already flashing so many just different tools and exciting things about him that I think you, you, you got to really – really kind of bet on him in, in this 83 range. Just it, he could fall, but I think there's just too much upside that he has flashed here. I'm not even going to pretend that I watched a single Charleston river dog season or game this season. Uh, I went I to one say, and he didn't play. What? I went to one and he didn't play. Oh, uh, what I, where is Charleston? South Carolina. It's in South Carolina, Charleston, yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Is that the capital? Uh, no, okay. Columbia is the capital, I want to say. I don't know, man. I'm, I talk about 18-year-old baseball players. When were you in South Carolina? Uh, I went to Kiowa Island with my girlfriend Ellie's family. And oh, sports. that's right. I was, I, was, that. I was Kiowa Island. <laughs> Good. Uh, no, I mean, two things that jump out about Carson Williams. He was born in June of 2003, which don't is crazy. Don't talk about that. And he went to Torrey Pines High School. Yeah. Great golf course right. at Torrey Pines. And also baseball pipeline out there. Put at Torrey Pines? Yeah, a lot of good talent. So he's super gifted. I can't get too deep into it because it's just like he, it's still, so he's still so far away and so raw. But a lot to dream on. And if he gets that lower half involved, look out. Sweet. Now 82. Kevin Alcantara. This guy's a freak. Six foot six, 200 pounds. Chicago Cubs outfield prospect. He came over in that Anthony Rizzo trade and he put up a really good year in low A. And I think you have a lot to, you talk about a lot to dream on. You got, you could dream on this guy as much as anybody, as much as anybody out there. Six, six with already above average power. You could dream on even more. He moves well above average runner can play all three outfield spots. And I mean, 
I just can't wait to see what he does as he continues to fill out a little bit and gets challenged a little bit more in any higher levels. The Cubs are being very cautious and slow with him. I get that. But this, this guy has the upside of, of just about anybody you're going to find as well. We talked about Matos. This is probably where I cut it off in terms of upside. Williams and, and Alcantara, those guys have probably more upside than Matos as we start to get to the you know, top 70, 75, 80 guys in this list. Yeah, I, I just like – it's hard for me to form a sound opinion on Kelvin and on Kevin Alcantara because I think that his body is going to change so much as he continues to move through the minor leagues. I don't think that he's going to be a six six lank machine and he looks like Slender Man and he's got a long swing. Like I think there's a chance that he puts on twenty pounds this offseason and becomes this masher and puts up Canario type power numbers. And Canario's a, a much smaller guy than Kevin Alcantara. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I think the fact that we're, we're seeing him already with 15 home runs, because when the guys are this long and lanky, and it, it's really hard to get into that power at a young age. I, I always think of Brennan Davis, his first season. I mean, it was just like, I would think there was nothing behind it because they're just, just trying to control their long levers and there's just not that much strength there yet. And it's a wiry frame. And Alcantara's already tapping into it. And he's already hit some balls really freaking hard. If he adds that muscle like you're talking about, sure, he slows down, he goes to a corner. That's fine. He's still going to move fine. well. He's that's still going to move well. I'd honestly runner, he, that. Will, he will move well for his size. He's got a great arm. He'll, he'll have 40 home run upside, I think, if if he puts on the weight that you're talking about here. I think I think Jed and, and Carter Hawkins, Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins, the two kind of main cogs in the Cubs front office here, you know, and, and we're going to get to Pete Crow Armstrong here in a moment, but why do you need to keep Kevin Alcantara in center, right? When when PCA is the center fielder for the next dozen years, Brendan Davis can still play an excellent center field. He won't go anywhere. Allow Kevin Alcantara's body to change and tell him, hey, you're going to be the right fielder for the Chicago Cubs for a decade. Mm-hmm. We need you to put on 20 pounds of muscle over the next six months. Do it. And you'll see the home run numbers shoot into the stratosphere. He could turn into one of the power hitters in the minor leagues. Yes, easily. Swing is surprisingly. It, it was long on him early in the year, but he has found a really good way to stay short for how long he is. And when you have those kind of levers, we've talked about it. You just generate so much more bat speed and whip. Add the strength to the equation. He's going to be a joke. That's he's going to be a literal joke. That's why I have 70 future raw power, uh, which I, I hope he gets to. Yeah. Last guy in this episode before, you know, the next episode will be 80 to 61. Yeah. 81 here. Zidane Raffaella. Talk about another really emergent prospect. Boston Red Sox outfielder, but really all over and a plus defender no matter where you put him. I thought, you know, really going into this year, he, he seemed more like a, someone I barely even knew about, really, really not on anybody's radar. He was a $10,000 international free agent in 2017. Him and Brian Bayo, I mean, combined for like thirty thousand dollars in international <laughs> free agent signings, while they shut out millions for other guys. Just the way Rosny Castillo. Um, but th- this is a really interesting prospect that I know the Red Sox are really excited about. Uh, they've compared him to Mookie in terms of just the way that he could play the outfield at an elite level, and then also come into the infield and play at an elite level. He's a plus defender, no matter where you put him which is really special. But then how about the offense and the way that is ticked up this year? We're talking about at least average power. He's an average or better hitter, plus-plus runner. And, I mean, you, you can't deny the numbers this year. No, I, 
So I love that we've got a guy from Curacao on this list. Personally, he's not 5'8", 195 anymore. Um, but he, he, like Curacao has become a hotbed of baseball that I hope clicks for people. Active players from Curacao and from Willemstad Curacao, that is where Sedan Rafael is from. Kenley Jansen, Jerickson Profar, Jonathan Scope, Ozzy Albies. Andrelton Simmons is from Mundo Novo in Curacao. Uh, but other guys, I mean, you've got Andrew Jones, Jair Jurgens, like Jair. Yeah, Curacao is a factory, man. And I love that Rafaela, like, he is going to have those guys at his disposal. I'm sure that he's picking the brain of an Ozzy Albies and a Jerickson Profar and an Andrelton Simmons to help him get better because when you are from that type of island, it's a different beast than the DR. Obviously, yeah. the DR guys from San Pedro de Macorís, like they're going to talk to the dudes from San Pedro de Macorís. It's like a, it's like a tight knit. It's a tight knit community there. You were sure. town by town in the DR. Yeah, you were country by country everywhere else. So yeah. Panama, like Ivan Herrera, can lean on other guys in Panama. Rafaela yeah. can lean on other guys in Curacao. Yeah. And this was a dude, I made the joke, like he's not a real person until I actually see him play baseball. And I, because that name is just like, it's awesome. I had a lot of people, I think it might be one of the, the top number one guys that I've had people ask me, who the hell is this guy? Who is he? But you know what? He was in the futures game. That was great. And, and he is mashed, man. I mean, an 880 OPS across high end double plays. With all of the other things he brings to the table, right? Yeah. Last thing I'll say on him, 21 homers. While the power is is average, found a way to lift the ball pretty consistently. He backspins baseballs really well. Very aggressive. Another guy that needs to rein it in a little bit. 5% walk rate, 38% chase rate. If he reins that in, hit tool probably closer to a 55. He reminds me of, of I, I think he could be a better version of Kike Hernandez. Wow. You're going to get that elite defensive ability in center. You're going to get more power if he gets into all of it. And I, I just think he's more dynamic than Kike. Uh that's why I think the Red Sox love him. And it's dependent on how much power he gets into, but at 21 years old, most of the season, he just turned 22 to do what he did in double 21 home runs this year, 10 triples, 32 doubles on top of elite defense and center and great defense everywhere else. And stolen base ability with 70 speed that he'll continue to get better at. He's not the best base dealer yet. He will be. I, I believe in that. This guy's dynamic and he's got a ton of confidence and there's been some really cool pieces on him about the confidence, the way the organization has really rallied around him. His teammates love him and uh, he, he's a part of their future and, and a very fast rising prospect that should be in the Red Sox equation next year. I love when you say he reminds me of I, I'm a sucker for the comp, man, and I'm usually the one that throws out the comps, but I love when you give me. A I avoid comps like the freaking plague unless it's just perfect. And I think the Kike Hernandez comp makes so much sense because we've seen Kike in the infield. We've seen him play gold glove defense and center. And, and I think the bat is somewhat comparable. Sign Been an hour 20. So uh, we will call it here. Obviously, it'll be shorter in the future because we won't have 15, 20 minutes on the just missed. So on the other guys, we usually keep it to an hour. But. That's 100 through 81. And I hope you enjoyed that. Jack, of course, thank you for bearing with me for an hour and a half to do all this. And we'll continue doing it moving forward. Maybe we'll get an episode out tomorrow if I didn't burn you out with this whole conversation today to get to 80 to 61. But you can expect over the next week, we will continue to wind down all the way to number one. If you don't want to wait, like I said, check the episode description. You can go check out the top 100 list and see all of the write-ups there. Plenty of interviews to look forward to in the offseason as well. But we are going to hammer through this top 100 list over the next week. And I hope you enjoy that and follow along through the next several episodes. Jack, any final thoughts? 
I don't think so. I love this crop and we're going to, you know, continue to get better and better through each. Yeah, of that's the craziest part. We just, we just went through the 20 least exciting of our top 100, technically speaking. So yes. it's only going to get better and better as we move forward. We'll talk to you either tomorrow or the day after that. 